0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. It's, uh, forget what week of the extra time in 2020 we are actually in, but we're we're somewhere deep into extra time, I would hope at this point. Um, things have been, things have been pretty quiet relatively, um, in the last, (laughs) what, five days or so. It was so quiet and so busy at the same time, um, that we actually didn't have time to record our La Liga podcast last week. So we do profusely apologize for that. Rian and I both got really, really caught up in work, mainly me. Actually, what happened was I got really caught up at work. I texted Rian like two minutes before we were supposed to record that we couldn't, that I couldn't record. And then he ghosted me for like two hours, and I was really oh, afraid that he was on. just pissed at me. No, no, no. I was afraid he was pissed. And then he was like, oh, sorry, I was taking a nap. I was like, oh, my God, this kid. So uh, that's, that's what I get to do with on a, on a regular basis. <laughs> So, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back, Rion. How you doing, buddy?
1: Um, I'm doing well, man. I'm doing pretty okay. <laughs> yeah, uh, dude, I mean, anybody, right. Anything in a been particular a pretty, you want to talk about? It had been a pretty <laughs> quiet last like four or five days until like this morning, but um, for mm, now, sweet. not 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 too bad. Um, another weekend of playing card games just to pass the time. And uh, even watch some football. I, I always love the conference championship weekends because it's like the height. Of... They're relevant because <laughs> they're relevant. Oh yeah, of course, of course. But but it's also like it's like when the strategy is like mm. at its most intense. I mean, obviously, I mean the Super Bowl is super intense, obviously. But but they have more time to like, game plan <laughs> yeah, for yeah, yeah. for the Super Bowl. But so this at its most intense and. Someone always ends up making really stupid, stupid decisions <laughs> um, coaching-wise. That's and, really true. And this year was no different um, as the Packers. Who do, who do
0: you think made a stupider decision? Was it Aaron Rodgers not to run or Matt LaFleur to kick the field goal?
1: It's it's the field goal, for sure. Okay, It's good. the field yeah, goal, I'm no doubt. I mean, look rogers absolutely should have ran like no doubt and yeah, I don't yeah. know if he actually would have ended up making it into the end zone because the other angles I've seen of it like it would have been a a been of like a race and I the guys not that quick so <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I, but at least but, you're, at
0: least you're giving him like a fourth and two yeah
1: yeah of yeah. course. I mean, they should have been going for it anyway, but whatever, whatever. This is, this is I, why I, we stick to to soccer slash real football. That's, that's what I've determined. I, uh, yeah, I don't even want to like, <laughs> I'm embarrassed to say like how angry the, that call made me watching the game. Cause <laughs> it was just like, I'm someone who just loves game strategy, I'm just like, what are you doing anyway? Yeah. Um. <laughs> but <laughs> how, how about you?
0: I'm good. I'm good. I had a chill weekend. Um, It was my first weekend out and back in New York and, able yes. to walk outside, albeit being in the absolute freezing cold. Um And I was telling you before we started recording, I fully forgot my winter coat at home. I, I don't know what came over me. And I, I honestly, I'm shocked that my mom didn't yell at me for forgetting it. But somehow I forgot it. Um And so here we are. And I'm cooped up until I get my winter coat back. So that's going to be a little bit. But other than that, it wasn't really like an entertaining. Well, I'll, I'll take that back. It was somewhat entertaining weekend, especially in La Liga. But Overall, there wasn't too much football in uh, in the I shouldn't say the Premier League but in England um, in the FA Cup, but we definitely <laughs> we definitely have some narratives to get through, especially from Sunday and well, basically a lot of the upcoming fixtures are are super exciting. Um, so Ryan, let's let's kick off and talk about the real football for once let's um let's start off with really the breaking news of the day of the week. well we're of course recording this on a Monday. Monday morning, January 25th, I wake up, and I see on Twitter, Chelsea Football Club has sacked Frank Lampard. Rian, we talked about it for weeks. We talked about it for days. And now here we are. Chelsea are no longer employing Frank Lampard at the club. Now, where's your head at with this? Because I think last week we talked a little bit about basically if things go south at the Leicester game, then he's really, really on the hot seat. Um, And they did. And I think what Abramovich is probably thinking is that this team is very, very much under threat of not being a top four side at the end of the season. And it would be a massive, forget about the financials for a second. It would be a massive cultural blow at the club if this team were not to be a top four side. So I mean, we have to ask the question, right? Do you think this is justified? Did we learn anything about, you know, Lampard and Chelsea uh, from his time at the club? And do you consider it somewhat successful?
1: Yeah, I think the thing that for most Chelsea fans, or at least for myself, what I'll be, no matter what, grateful for from... Lampard's time is at a time when the team was in a very, very difficult spot in terms of transfer ban and Hazard just leaving the club right, and a lot of uncertainty around the team. He came in and instituted, at least for the first season, um, a sort of cultural change that the team hadn't Really had in maybe since, maybe since Mourinho's second spell, um, but you know he came in and he did something that no other Chelsea manager in the last decade plus had done, which was play the youth and trust in the academy that had been for the last six or seven years, uh, arguably in terms of just trophies being won by the academy, like maybe first in in England maybe second to Manchester City in terms of um, the actual trophies that were being won by the by the Academy teams and so above all he's got to be given credit for bringing through Billy Gilmore giving him his debut Mason Mount obviously for Kyle Tamori Tammy Abraham and Reese James so no matter what we got to give him credit on all of that it there, there's some really interesting stuff. It, from the Athletic article about his sacking. Basically that this was. Really a tough situation even going into the season. And especially. Like, since January in 2020. When Lampard had some disagreements with the board on players being brought in. It was right after the the uh, transfer ban was lifted. And then to this year when he's was really pushing for Declan Rice to come in, and the board itself was also not convinced on that. And it just was always, seemingly, at least um, at least the last eight-ish months, uh, seems like he was kind of fighting uh, a bit of an internal battle. And at Chelsea, that almost never ends with the manager winning, so. It's difficult. It's it's difficult. Um, Yeah, Yeah. it's it's difficult. It's 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 hard to see. (laughs) um, It's hard to see the culture that came in with Lampard with that happening again on that scale anytime soon for Chelsea. But I, I don't know, Elias. You tell me. What 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 do you think that we've learned from? Whether it's not Lampard himself or the Chelsea, maybe it's the Chelsea team. What are some of your biggest takeaways from his eighteen months as Chelsea manager?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you you said the biggest thing, right? Which is, and and don't underrate this. Here's why: Frank Lampard's ability to quote unquote play the kids, right, allowed this team to be in the place that it is today. Don't ever forget that. Because he did not play the youth that were brought through, the. You're missing about five core players that Chelsea would have had to go out and sign on top of the 300 million euros that they already spent on players to bring in like Timo Werner, like, you know, Hakeem Ziyech, etc. So you're doing the club, a really big service in actually developing these players. So. Don't underrate how important that is, especially in a COVID pandemic now, right? Hindsight's 2020, but that's also part of it. Where I think Frank Lampard probably got a little bit ahead of himself was making the leap from Derby County to Chelsea. And it was definitely a feel good story. And it's one that started off pretty well, right? When he started playing the youth and gave this team a rejuvenation, ex- essentially, where I think he may have missed the mark in making that jump a little early. Is that there is a big tactical jump and a big managerial man management jump from going from Derby county to Chelsea right it, it's not it's not as simple I think as player profiles and tactics on a board anymore it's about boardroom politics and about squad management and oh also about tactics and you know player profiles et etc it's a lot bigger of a task and I would have actually really, really loved to see Frank Lampard succeed because, uh, obviously, he's a Chelsea legend. You know, we all know that. But the story was kind of written on the wall there in a Zidane-esque fashion. Um, But one thing that Zidane has over, I would argue, um, Frank Lampard is, A, the baldness. But, you know, what's really important is the fact that Zidane has buy-in from every single player. I'm not even talking tactical buy-in. I'm talking about belief in a manager. And I don't think that every Chelsea player had that. I think they actually, from what I've seen, really love Frank Lampard as a as a as a person and as a, a man manager. But I don't think players like you know Kai Havertz and like Timo Werner fully bought into how they were supposed to operate into this team. And that led to kind of a lack of cohesion that we've seen over the last four weeks. So is frankly a part of failure? No, I actually don't think he is. I think he did a, a really, really big service to, to Chelsea. But at the same time, was he everything that he could have been for this club? Also no.
1: And uh, you, make an int- you make a really interesting point there. Like it's, there is an element to it where you'd say he was absolutely a success, right? When you think about that first season, the first season to the second season, right? Those are two different jobs that had to be done, right? He comes into the team, and like I said, it's a transitional period, and you're bringing through the academy players, and all of a sudden, you know, we can debate how much actual influence that Lampard and managers in general have on transfer incomings, but The job changed over this past summer right it it went from something that was all right we're blooding in these youth players and this is like a legit like two to three or well three maybe four year project right and and you can kind of see how the progression should go if it's if you're thinking that long term and then with what happens in the summer it becomes a this team has to at least challenge for the title in the first season uh, wh- who, no matter like how real quote unquote that challenge is and then be poised to in the second year be like a title favorite or one of the two or three favorites so whatever it is right and and the job changed and that's where it seems that's where the shift also changed in Lampard's managerial uh, experience, like, really hard to show, right, or lack of managerial experience, I should say. Um, yeah, it, it just became a tough, a very tough job, or a more tough job than it was even expected going into it when um, when the pressures of being a title, or supposing to be a title favorite, right, changed kind of how the the Lampard, project was supposed to be going, right? And then that's where you need the experience. Um And you kind of need more than just one year or two years of management because, you know, people have been making this really good point is that it's hard for, it can be hard for a coach like Lampard in his, one of his first couple seasons. And we even had, I think some of these conversations around Arteta when it was going poorly for Arsenal's. I don't have the experience to look back and be like, oh, I did this when I was here and when we were struggling at XYZ. Right? And I think this kind of feels, this whole tenure in general feels like another one in the cap for, you know, coaches themselves, managers, coaches, in the same way that players have to train and become good at it. And, and you don't just go straight into, you're not, Twelve and go straight into the first team, right? You need the training. You need to, I don't know, go through adversity as a coach and so and whatever it might be, whether you were the head coach at the time or whether you were an assistant coach on a league three, sorry, league two team or whatever it is, right? It, it's it's uh, it be, like I said, it became a difficult job. I it really it became a difficult job and. Unfortunately, Lampard was not was not, I think, equipped with the experience and, and for now at least, the coaching acumen to get to get through it. Right, but all that shouldn't take away from how good the first season was, where Chelsea were second in in XG, they were third in non penalty expected goal difference, second in shots shot creating actions per ninety to Manchester City all while having to deal with the worst post-shot XG difference, which is a goalkeeping stat, and and pretty mediocre finishing, where Chelsea only finished 11th in terms of goals, difference from um, expected goals. So y- you have to say, I think, for the first season, absolutely a success almost on any metric. The second season, when it became... More win now, and the job needed a bit more experience itself. That's where Lampard kind of was caught, really.
0: Yeah, basically, I mean, caught between a rock and a hard place in some sense. So, not not great <laughs> for him. Uh, we obviously wish him the best because I, I think there's he he is a very unique manager, and I think can offer teams a lot. Um, now, where it gets interesting, Rian, and, and we've talked about this not on the pod, is who Chelsea have reportedly chosen as their replacement for Frank Lampard. A, um, a, a character of, I, I would not say highest regard by Rian, Um a, a character in which Actually, I'll, I'll hold my thoughts for a second. Of course, we're talking about Tom Tuchel, who has been reported as the uh, apparent successor to Frank Lampard at Chelsea. Rian, I can tell you right now, is not happy about this appointment.
1: No, so- I wouldn't. I wouldn't say not happy. Really? No, I wouldn't say. I wouldn't say not happy. Um, I he, look. I texted Elias last week. I think my. Three favored um, replacements would have been Roth, House, and Huddle, uh, Julian Nagelsmann, or Brendan Rodgers. And I think the the reason why I probably didn't put Thomas Tuchel in that conversation, or in those in the top three at least, I think he he would have been probably four, number four, or number five, for me. Um, but I have no real uh, reservations about his coaching itself. Um, it's more of the how he has dealt in the past with the board-level executives for the clubs he's been at in the past. So he's, he had a falling out with Leonardo at PSG. He was the PSG president. And he even had a falling out with the board of Borussia Dortmund before that, with uh, Zork and, and uh, Vazquez. That is where I'm a little nervous because I do think he's a very good coach. We're just talking purely coaching. And and we can argue that right now, maybe that is the most important thing with the players that Chelsea have and figuring out how to fit them together. A coach, someone who's going to tirelessly work at the tactics of it is probably the most important thing right now for, the, for this group of players. But uh, it's just as a Chelsea fan, you know that it could go great for two years and ultimately what ends up happening is a power struggle is the issue it's either a power struggle or poor results and usually they end up kind of landing one in the same but that is where I'm nervous for Tuchel is someone who is already having a bit of or had a bit of a an issue managing upwards not downwards um it's 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 an interesting marriage, I'll just say that.
0: Yeah, yeah, you you basically stole my thought. Um, my thoughts are exactly that. It's very concerning the way that Tuchel fell out with Leonardo and Al-Khalifi at PSG um, and the way that he parted. It really didn't have too much to do with the players. I mean, the players played largely competitive and attractive football and, and, I mean, made it to basically the highest level, right? They they won Liga and, and made it to the Champions League final, and you're basically one shot away. I mean, quite literally one shot away from potentially winning. Um, so it's not really a footballing aspect, but if you look at the way that Chelsea's hierarchical, hierarchical there it is, structure uh, and what it looks like, it's not very Tuchel-friendly, It's a very binary system. It's either you win or you don't. And it was very much like that at PSG. And we all know how that went. In the end, he didn't win what they wanted. Therefore, he was gone. It was very black and white. And maybe, like you said, Riyad, that's what... Chelsea, I'm sorry, PSG, that's maybe that's what Chelsea actually want and what they actually need is just wins and consistent performances. And I think Tuchel offers that from a sporting perspective, but the second that something goes wrong or the second that they go in there, you know, run into a rough patch, like every team does, what what's going to be the response then? That? And that's where it's really, really a gray area because his track record is not great with that.
1: Yeah, and and for for the reports on uh, the interest in Tuchel, uh, obviously a lot of it is centered around his experience with the Germans, um, his experience with Christian Pulisic, and like I said, he's a, he's a very well-renowned coach. Like coach itself in the very traditional, <clears throat> at least in Germany, the very traditional sense where they call their coach the trainer, the head trainer, and and they don't call their coach their head coaches managers. Right, that it's very much in he's going to go in and the first few games are probably going to be a lot of experimenting and trying to figure out the best ways to unlock Havertz to get the confidence back in a lot of these players, including Werner and including Pulisic, who, was, who, was not, who has not played very well the last three weeks or so and and looks a bit spent and a bit tired um, and just needs a bit of confidence, I think, too but yeah the, the the hope is the hope is that we're not sitting here 2 years from now and having a similar conversation that being said his contract is only 18 months with a um with an option after the after that 18 months and so i think both sides are being pretty realistic at the moment about knowing that it's a wait and see kind of situation and um yeah i Look, supporting them, supporting the coach no matter what, supporting the team no matter what. And and I'm really excited to see what he tries to do. But, you know, all being said, it's, it's, um, it'll be difficult. It'll be a difficult road from here to to the end of this season. But um, it should be exciting to see at least how another mind comes in and tries to figure out this Chelsea situation of, of players where it's not, there's not, obvious uh, round pegs and round holes for the, throughout the entire team. It's going to take <laughs> some real creative coaching, honestly.
0: Yeah, no, it absolutely will. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't necessarily have any expectations right now for Tuple. I just, I need to see how he lines up. I need to see how the players respond. It's, I don't have any expectations, quite frankly. I have expectations for the squad, but not for Tupel. So Rian, let's, uh let's move on to, happier days, more entertaining days than whatever last week was. Of course we're talking about the Liverpool United game in the FA Cup in which United came out on top 3-2 courtesy of Bruno Vernet Fernandez doing his uh his best impression of what Ronaldo free kicks used to look like back in 2008 basically. Um yeah, this was this was way more fun than uh than their Premier League match uh like 10 days ago in it and in some ways it almost completely took apart our theory about tiredness and a lack of entertaining games this entire year. And it's not like these lineups changed significantly. So maybe, Hey, we'll admit when we're wrong. So maybe we were.
1: (laughs) Maybe we were. And maybe even our thinking was, is really only applied to domestic league games because just the the way that the teams were kind of um in a different mindset during this FA Cup game where where United won 3-2 and it was really entertaining game like really good game and and although Liverpool lost they shouldn't feel i I think they shouldn't feel super disappointed with that because it was a genuine I think could have gone to either team and in the end what won it was just a moment of high quality from Bruno Fernandez, really. And that can happen whenever you're playing any big game. So it was just more fun. And it seemed like the mentality of the game was more, I don't want to say relaxed, but a little less tension and a little less, you know, worry that if we lose this, we'll lose the title or something like that. Right. So I, I think that's maybe what changed the game just a little bit and made it you know, more enjoyable than than what we saw a week prior. Um, but, you know, all that being said, it, a, a, a somewhat disappointing loss for Liverpool, even though the performance was not disappointing. But that is now one win in the last seven games in all competitions. And that one win was against Aston Villa in the FA Cup when Villa played their, their under-23s for the entire game, and Liverpool played... Most of their starting 11 um, failed to score in their last four Premier League games since the last time they scored. They've had an XG of about five and a half from 71 shots, but only 14 of those shots have been on target in the last four games. So. I think we've talked about before, they just look exhausted Eh, they just look exhausted and um, look in need of reinforcements, but we know how. The uh, Fenway Sports Group, the owners of of Liverpool, how they operate in the transfer market. Um, it doesn't. It doesn't seem like, and we shouldn't expect reinforcements to come in.
0: I mean, there's an argument to be made that Liverpool actually don't need reinforcements, and I think it's a fair argument. I think that if you took basically majority of Liverpool starting 11 and rest them in their upcoming, well, you can't really do it against Spurs, but if you rested them beyond that for just one game, I think you would actually see a ginormous improvement in their overall overall play. Cause it's not like they're, <laughs> it's not like Liverpool are a bad side. It's not like their players aren't absolute quality. And I mean, it's so funny to me guess for how, People and fans are treating Thiago like he was the second coming of Jesus when they realized he could actually pass a ball and, and break lines. Now all of a sudden, going through a dip in form after suffering through suffering through COVID, etc., and he is now the second coming of Satan. Like it, it's not so black and white that people are people are getting almost scared into thinking this Liverpool team is not actually dangerous and and I have been one to say constantly that this liverpool team I don't think will you know win the title again they may not but to say that this liverpool team are you know because they're uh, they have the form of a mid table or lower table side means that they are a bad side that's not the case i think it's genuine fatigue that's set in and none of these players have had a chance to take a break now the, alter- the alternative argument, right, is that, okay, so neither has the rest of the league. But if you compare Liverpool, I think, to the squads of all the other top six sides, I would argue Liverpool is the thinnest. So there's something to be said there about fatigue, especially for this side.
1: And I think you kind of touch on a really – um I think – good point that we could throw on to talking about just about any team from this season, right? Is that kind of feast or famine nature of, of commentary on games, right? And, and kind of this inability for a lot of commentary right now to take a step back and kind of realize the full context of the situation where, like we said, the, this season has been what it's been. And granted, everyone's had to deal with that, but it's just it's normal right now for teams to go through what used to be two or three games of bad form, and it's kind of a mini-crisis. Now it's, it's normal that teams are going through four to six games of not being at their best. And I think we just have to, for this season alone, not saying going forward, but for this season alone, I think we've got to really temper our expectations of how good any team is going to be right now. You see Manchester United are sitting first, in the Premier League, with 40 points after 19 games, a pace for 80 points, which is be as low of a points total for a chip, for the championship since Leicester winning it back in 2016. And we just have to kind of recognize that this season, no one's going to be great, honestly. I would I, I, uh... not I don't want to say great because I think City has, has genuinely looked great over the last month, but um, but no one's going to be close to the levels of what we saw two years ago or three years ago, and I think as a whole, probably the Premier League has to come to grips with that run of two of three years for City, um, where you know they hit a hundred and ninety eight, and they hit eighty one last year, but. They still scored 102 goals last season, and Liverpool's three-year run or two-year run of of, of ninety-five plus points. Like, we're not gonna see that, like probably ever again. We're probably never gonna see two teams playing at that level at the same time in the same in England, at least. And we just kind of have to bring the bring the bar back down. And just realize that you know teams are teams are supposed to be fallible, right? normal, Even the best teams. <laughs> so, um, with all that being said, to the Manchester side of this, Elias, I texted you like a couple weeks ago when we we were talking about United and 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 we were kind of you were kind of wondering like. What has changed? Like, why do they look good? I don't understand this. And I threw something out there that you didn't respond very nicely to. But more or less, it was around Ole himself. And the fact that maybe maybe the coach doesn't matter quite as much as we like to think. And you sound way too much like my dad. That's all I'll say. <laughs> I'll, I'll
0: I'll let you have yeah. your moment, but you do.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm it, I'm just throwing it out there because I will admit here first. To admit Ole has been a better manager, not coach. I want to make that very clear. Man, manager, player, manager, whatever it is vibes manager if you must um he's been better at the man management than i have given credit for in the past and what i will not move off of is how good of a coach i think he is and i think we have enough of a track record in terms of playing against very good sides especially in europe to to show that that's there's a reason for that thinking but I, I think I've kind of underestimated how important just the man management part of it is, especially when you have the talented squad that Manchester United had. No, uh, so I want to I want to let you jump in because oh oh you do right. okay okay I don't want I don't want to I don't want to just I don't want to go on too long of like a soliloquy here <laughs> on 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 the on the uh, false merits of of coaches or something, but no, no, it's not,
0: it's not a soliloquy. It's more of a, an educated rant, uh, I think is more appropriate, but okay. I'm going to be honest. I see what you're saying. I, I see what you're saying about man management because I see there's, there's a parallel between Zidane Zidane and his man management skills and Ole and his man management skills and their equivalent tactical prowess right there's something to be said about managers that can come in and manage players who have such high ceilings or have already achieved or are near such high ceilings and come in and all you need to do is let them run rampant right and give them the basics give them the foundation and basically put players on a map or on a board and say you go here you go here when need be and let them figure out the rest but that mentality right doesn't win you trophies, that mentality will get you so far as to come up against the other talented sides in England and Spain, I mean, wherever it is, it'll get you to that point, then you're going to come up against a manager that has both, that has the man management skills that you possess, and then you're going to come up against a manager that has a much more higher understanding of the tactical game. Right, you're going to come up against Pep. You're going to come up against Jurgen. You're going to come up against Hasan Hodel. Right? I mean, these are managers that you you think of when you say, <clears throat> you know, th- this team is so well coached. And then you're going to lose. And then you're going to lose in those games. Now, now I know I I know you're you're going to say I know what you're going to say. Right? We're talking about a game in which Manchester United won. I get that, but you do know you, me too well. I know, I know. Yeah, don't. I, I understand that Manchester United won this game, but do you really think that this same Manchester United team that dropped needless points against basically, I think, four of the bottom half teams, do you think that that team is going to win the title? Well, I don't think that team's going to win the title. You can't drop those points, and you will likely continue to drop points against either that opposition or come up against your cities or your Spurs or even in some degree to, you know, your Chelsea's. And you were probably going to drop points. I that That's my take. I, I think that this Liverpool side had fatigue. They had physical issues. And I think that if you look back to their Premier League game last weekend, you're probably saying that a Liverpool team at, you said it yourself. At sixty percent or above, is beating this United team. They
1: were not, so I rest my case. <laughs> yeah, I I think you're right. With when you're talking about the highest levels, or you're talking about the very highest levels, I think that is where that's where this team will falter. Um, but but I mean that's that's where it, right? that's
0: where like this team is supposed to be right like in theory that's where the mysticism of manchester united comes from so what else are we supposed to compare it to you know
1: no you're right you're right you're absolutely right i i I guess in just in just to kind of explain why they are seemingly looking much better than they did a year a year ago or even three months ago right um yeah it's just they've, they've got. Extremely talented squad, and as and as a wise man once said, a wise man being Johan Cruyff said that if your players are better than than your opponents, ninety percent of the time you'll win. And right now, Manchester United, their players are better on just about every occasion, and not just that, their players are performing too. and And that's where I have to give credit to all it. Where you know, I'll say I don't see. I don't quite see what the what the plan is. A lot of the time, watching the games, but um, but he's found a way to get the players (laughs) who their best players to perform to perform well, even if they don't necessarily um, have the most detailed tactics in every game, right? But uh, who knows? Who knows? Paul Pogba is looking like he's enjoying life. You have to give Ole some credit there because he was eviscerated by Mino not three weeks ago, and has somehow found a way to <laughs> to keep Pogba at least like interested in the rest of the season. Right, that's I true. Know. I mean, that's true. Pogba is for some reason I think
0: thrives on that sort of adversity. There's something about his mental. I mean, he stepped up in the world cup incredibly. He stepped up now, right after Amino Rayola Re- came out and basically said, you know, Paul's done with United. How, how dare they do this to my boy uh, for all the money that they put into him. I'll take him elsewhere, but you know, they'll, and, and I don't know there. Okay. There's something to be said about the reinvigoration of Pogba. I'll, I'll give you that. I'll give Ole the fact that it has basically to do with, this Mystic idea of man management. I won't. I won't say that his position has magically changed, and all of a sudden, you know, he's playing from a, a higher up position on the pitch. He's still a deep lying midfield playmaker, and uh, that's that's where he's been sitting. So it's not tactical. Ole not going to do that for you, but he'll do he'll do the rest.
1: And that's and that and that. Wow, that's a real achievement that we've gotten Elliot to that point. So I think that's a great time to take a break.
0: (laughs) Let's do it. Let's take a break. We'll be back talking a little bit of the rest of the Premier League fixtures coming up this week. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back talking a little Spurs, Liverpool, Everton, Leicester. And Arsenal United. Three of probably the best fixtures of the season coming up. I mean, specifically for me, I'm not going to ruin it, actually. I lied. I'm not going to. I'll hold that thought. (laughs) Three. the top fixture in the next week for a variety of different reasons. So, Rian, let's start with Liverpool just briefly. What do you make of this fixture? You know, why is it significant? And, uh, of course, who do you think comes out on top?
1: Yeah, I I think this is a... Spurs is catching Liverpool at, well, I, I want to say the best possible time, but, you know, we talked a, a bit a few weeks ago where I talked about that study that was done in the numbers game about those kind of four-game shifts that can happen when a team's playing very poorly. Um, and it just feels to me that even with the fatigue and all, Liverpool are kind of... Do for some good luck, really. I think they've gotten a bit unlucky in in the last few Premier League games where where, they could have scored, not necessarily saying they could have won every single one, but um, yeah, I think they got a little bit unlucky on a couple occasions, especially, I mean, the Burnley game uh, where we didn't even really touch on that very much, but Liverpool's home record ending, the second longest home record in the Premier League's history. Um, did, massive, did you massive. did you
0: specifically have to say second longest? Is there any particular reason why you wanted to? Well, I mean, just being that?
1: factually correct here. Of course, of course. <laughs> remind me who had the first longest? Yeah, yeah. It may or may not have been a big win for Chelsea that oh, can, can game. Be, so, yes, yes. So Chelsea's eighty-six game Premier League record, or home Premier League unbeaten home record, still stands. But, um, but I mean, even like I said, even in that game, Liverpool got. Un- pretty unlucky um and, and you know there's been some some contention about the penalty itself I, I think it was a penalty but um I think Liverpool are due for a bit of luck right and, and they got a bit lucky in their first game against Tottenham because as we remember Tottenham hit the post at 1-1 um I think it was Bergwijn that, that was hit that hit the post right and so uh, this this game will probably be very boring. I, I, that, that's just my opinion of how I think it's going to go, judging on Liverpool's tiredness and just how Spurs play. Um, so I think it'll be very, very uh, work. It'll be that game will be work for people watching as well, too. So I, I'm going to say a draw for that game. And I don't think this game tell. I don't know how much this game will tell me about either team afterwards.
0: I that uh, you all for some reason you've been on today stealing my thoughts. I, I agree with that, that was going to be my last point. I don't think this game is actually going to be as telling as people expect it to be. I don't think it's going to be a draw. I do think that one of these teams come out on top. I just have no idea which team it is. This is one of those times where I genuinely could not tell you whether Liverpool or Spurs are going to be the better side. I could probably tell you that something stupid is going to happen this game. I mean, like, really stupid. Like, Harry Wink scoring a belter stupid, but... Yeah, I, he scored
1: today, too.
0: He did He, did <laughs> he score did today. It, yeah. he, scored in, he scored in the FA Cup, that's right. Um, I, I don't know what it's going to be. If I have to, yes. It's something like 2-1 Liverpool. But they are due for, for a step up. And, and I think they're, they've gone to the point where they're not comfortable... You know, dropping points. They, they, it's not like they were comfortable before that was not one two, but now they're ranging on, like, hand over the panic button almost for them. So
1: they're they're getting pulled back into a bit of a dog fight if they if they don't get, uh, they don't start rattling off of at least a few wins, yep, in a row here. So exactly, exactly. So
0: that's what I think uh, Spurs Liverpool would look like. But Everton Leicester, Rian, is still another one of those matchups that i think probably would entertain you the most out of these three so who are you who are you rooting for in in this fixture
1: oh i no rooting interest here no rooting interest um but this is the game out of the three that that uh we've just that we're just kind of talking on here out of this game and then arsenal united game this weekend this is the game that i'm i think will be the most entertaining of the three, um, I I'm just really interested to see how this Leicester team progresses in the second season. I think we've we've touched on it a lot about you know how good we feel about this team and and how um, different the team feels to this same point last season, but you know Everton have shown they have staying power this season at least, right? They're sitting six points off of Leicester with two games in hand, right? And so so obviously a win would be, would be massive for them to just get them back into the top four. But, but also, like I said, they've been grinding out results too. And they've shown they can win when they don't play necessarily well, right? And I think that's been the biggest difference to this Everton team compared to just about... Any other one since uh, since the season at that? Then, I think that there was a season where they finished fifth uh, under Roberto, Roberto Martinez, and I think it was either Lukaku's first or second season at Everton, and they were very entertaining that season. But uh, but this is this team is different because, like I said, they can win when they don't play well, and that is that is kind of the next step that you have to take to become a, a real, let's say, European. Place fighting team, right? Just, because just all, the, all the best playing, teams have to do playing
0: it. Playing for wins, shit housing or not, as long as you win. Exactly, Chucks exactly. Out.
1: And and they're getting, and they've gotten Thomas Rodriguez back. They've they've gotten Luca Dean back. So so they it should be entertaining game, really. And um, on the flip side of this, Ricardo Pereira started started for Leicester in the FA Cup this past weekend. So we'll see if he if he gets to start this week, but um they're two teams that are in a really good spot right now and um good form good confidence and you know they shouldn't be crossing our fingers that they're just not afraid to to uh to lose this game as we've seen in other big games this this year
0: no I, and i don't think they will i think they probably recognize the caliber of lester in the team that they're coming up against and if they don't i don't think this team is in the conversation for top six. I just don't think that they would be. But getting... I would argue, Rian, that getting Everton's top three players back, excuse me, um, two of which I consider in Hamez and Luka Dean, and getting Leicester's top three players back, if you had to compare, you know, I I would say... I'm avoiding this terribly. What I'm trying to say is that Everton getting their top three players back versus Leicester getting their top three players back probably favors Everton more because I think there's a need and there's an ultimate cohesion when Everton's top three are on the field compared to what Leicester can do without their top three. So that, that part partially for me might actually be why I favor a draw in this game rather than a Leicester win. So but we'll see. We'll see. We've been wrong before and, uh, you know, who knows what we're... The, I mean, the description of our own podcast is terrible analysis, so there's something in there about terrible analysis. Anyway. Arsenal United, Riyad. Let's talk a little bit about a team that's seemingly rejuvenated in Arsenal and a team that apparently is going to win the Premier League in Manchester United, and I'm... I think that's that's good enough proof that we're an alternate universe or in a simulation. by Me saying those words. So... Rian, Arsenal United, how are you feeling?
1: So, whereas I think that everton Lesser will be the most entertaining game, for sure, um, out of these three, I think Arsenal United is the one I'm most looking forward to because the last time these two teams played, Arsenal won... On a one-nil on a penalty from Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, and and that was, um, I think that was one of the the days that I probably texted or talked to Elias about um, Arsenal's kind of uh, Catinaccio <laughs> style, um, and, and since then, obviously these teams have gone into very very different directions, but. Arsenal have had a bit of a redemption arc recently, right? And I want to see how this Arsenal team like Arsenal 2.0 from this for this season, how they deal with this Manchester United team, which is it's the same team, the same United team that played last that played against them last time. But you know, I'm hoping that this game will be more entertaining than their last outing. I'm hoping that with the injection of Emil Smith-Rowe, and Kaio Saka has been in really good form recently. And just in general, getting rid of some of the dead weight that was in the team at at the time, even when they beat United, the the dead weight was there. Oh, William. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Um, I'm really interested to see how Arsenal set up for this game. And and I hope they don't play it the same way that they did Back in, in uh, November, I think it was. I think this is going to be a very different game from, from November. I think this is going to be an entirely
0: different game. And not just because Arsenal are on a redemption arc, basically, but because the players that they're doing this with are completely different from the the squad that they fielded, you know, three months ago, basically. I mean, if you think about um, Emil Smith-Rowe, you think about... I would say Saka, I mean, was involved, but is developed even more. So partially due to his consistent playing time, you think about William basically taking those positions, like players like William taking those positions. And I don't want to just pick on him because I think that's, that's just brutal, but there's a level of drive and motivation that these kids have that you need to take into account that gives Arsenal a little bit of an edge. I mean, these are players that have something to seriously prove. William is basically on the the social security wrong side of sixty five, like ready to collect his pension in a couple of like months. Like he's he's mentally checked out in terms of what I've seen on the field. These kids have something to prove, and in a game against United, against you know pretty much like their country compatriots that they see in the England camp, it's going to be more than just a dogfight. I I think this is a very physical game. I think this is a very, you know, driven and motivated Arsenal side. I'm genuinely looking for Arsenal to push United, and and I do think that Arsenal will get the win. I I honestly think that. So at least, you know, a couple people I know listening to this will be happy. (laughs)
1: No, no, that one's for you, Jay. Um, <laughs> I so, Elise, if you had to rank these three games in terms of which, which one you're looking forward to the most, give me your give me your top three here.
0: I'm going Arsenal United first. I think that Arsenal United is just different from the other two because it has a little bit of an edge. I think both teams still have a chip on their shoulder. Right? Both teams have something to seriously prove, and I think that that gives a little bit of an edge over the other two. I think my second is probably Everton-Lester. I think that I'd like to see how Everton bounce back right, from getting James healthy. I think we haven't really seen peak James yet um, you know, since I mean the start of the, the campaign, and I'm very excited to see that against a, a Leicester side that is also in a good run of form. Leicester, on the other hand, getting Ricardo Pereira is is big but this is a this is a true test of I think how how much can they withstand pressure from teams around them because this isn't going to be on a points tally by the end of the season a very close season so these are the games that probably matter most to them um and so if they have i think that edge to to get past Everton then I think we start Having an even more serious conversation around them, and of course, lastly, Spurs Liverpool. Because, like I said at the beginning, I, I don't think I'm going to take anything away that's new from this game,
1: but I do think it's just going to be a good, like, shit
0: housing game to watch.
1: Quite frankly, <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I, I, my 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 order is the same. Um, the only thing I'll throw in is that yeah, Spurs Liverpool. If uh, if Liverpool were to lose. Uh, obviously nothing on there's no pressure uh, no sack pressure whatever none of that obviously but um but i mean they've got to be itching to win it to win a game and to score in a premier league game right now so i i think uh liverpool's motivation will be even higher than than it was for the last game against tottenham which you know last game against tottenham it was like uh someone's coming for the crown and uh you know we have to protect the crown we have to protect the our our status in the league, but now it's a bit different. You know, Liverpool has to prove something in this game. And I think that's, that's usually a very fun Liverpool side. At least shall we wrap it up from there? And just, um, well, we haven't checked in in Italy. I don't think at all this year, um, but I thought it would be good just to check in to give some love to our compatriot <laughs> at Juventus, uh, Weston McKenney, who has come into Juventus and six, seven months on, he is not just my opinion, but even the opinion of a lot of Juventus fans, <laughs> one of their two best, or if not their best midfielder this season. And, yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I think even from an objective standpoint, it's, it's probably the case.
1: And I mean, just so so from the, I don't know, from the games that you've gotten to watch him, Elias, and obviously you have to throw in like the, the Champions League games against Barcelona as well. Um, I don't yeah, know. What, what don't, has impressed you? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> what, what What's kind of, what's been impressive to you? I think from, from uh, Weston McKinney.
0: Weston McKinney impresses me the most because he does what every other player in this Juventus side doesn't want to do. He does one thing really, 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 really well, and he does the dirty work. That's what he does so well. He is so driven and motivated because, I mean, this kid really came up from, I don't want to say being <laughs> being told that you can't do it, right? But he broke a barrier by going to Juventus. He broke a barrier right after Christian Pulisic to go to another top European side. And and let's for argument's sake, they say that Juventus is a quote unquote bigger club than Dortmund, but going really from Schalke who were in ruins uh, by the time he left to a Juventus side that was already star studded and had Syria in their pocket for the last five seasons, you're making a big jump. And to do that start and be a standout player is really, really impressive. And I think that's what Pirlo loves about him is that he does what everyone else wants, doesn't want to do. He does the the dirty work, the running, the tackling, the covering. I mean, let's talk about that Barcelona game, of the Champions League right at the Camp Nou where he scored. He covered the most ground that day, the most ground out of any player on the field, you know, for either side. I don't believe he was subbed off, but for some reason I'm remembering him subbed off like late on. But I don't think he was. So he he just he puts in a shift. He really does. I mean, I I love watching him play. I think tactically and technically he's not chavy, right? But he he just has that tenacity that you cannot coach, and that's really valuable to Pirlo for sure.
1: Yeah, and I love that you said. You know the dirty work, and, and by that, it's not just, not just the defensive side of it, right? It's he makes a lot of runs that frees up space for other players too, and even if he's not getting the ball, even if there's no chance of him getting the ball, sometimes he is doing the dirty work on both sides, and I mean the progression in, I think the progression has had to happen in in parts of his technical ability just by being in a team that has the ball a lot more than he was than he did at uh Schalke. you know it, the player that he's can become now is it could be anything um i think before the season when he was making the move um i think one of my comparisons was that i think he could be like their new vidal right and and now i think i mean he's not gonna be quite, he's not gonna be the same type of player as Vidal. He's something completely different to me and and very unique in his own sense. In the same way that Vidal was unique in his own way, right? Um, I I think McKinney has been really, really unique, honestly, for for lack of trying to use the same word, Um, but he's had to play, he's played on the right mid, he's played center mid, he's played holding mid, And in every position, he's given the license to be all over the field. Um, And he's repaying a lot of the faith that Pirlo's been putting in him recently. He scored a goal this past weekend. He scored a couple weeks ago in a massive, massive derby against Milan, where Juve pretty much had to win the game to stay in the title race. And... um, that's kind of like the next progression is coming up big in these big moments. And that's what, that's what endears you to your teammates. Right. And that's what kind of creates a legacy for you at a club. And and that's really exciting to watch, honestly, from, from um not even just an American standpoint, but from just like seeing a young player kind of start to establish themselves.
0: hundred percent agreed. I'm, I'm really excited for, for what he can do. For Juventus, my my hot take is that I don't know if he'll be there longer than three years. I, I say that like it's a job and like you <laughs> move to like your next career position. But like I, I say that largely because I don't know what's going to happen with Pirlo, especially if they don't win Syria. Um But I think I think Weston is, is just an amazing person. Let's let's bring Weston on the on the pod. That should, should be our goal for 2021. <laughs> that, to we do that, Weston we McKinney. end the pod. We end. Yeah, that's it. That's uh, the last episode. Yeah. <laughs> you heard it here first. We're committing to that. So, but yeah, but, shout out to, uh, to Weston McKinney. And of course, every other American town in in England, in Europe, um, of course, Aaronson being the most recent, um, mm, from our hometown. And Mark
1: McKenzie as yeah. well from, from the union. Yeah. It's all, it's all coming together. Um, just before we leave, just to touch on that kind of really crazy title race that is going on in Syria, um, we are through eighteen slash nineteen games. AC Milan are still leading, forty three points. <laughs> it's uh, this is, I mean, look, I, loved, if Milan, I love Milan
0: turned like the clock back to like two thousand six.
1: Yeah, Milan and United. If Milan and United win a title <laughs> together this season, I mean.
0: No, no, that can't wow. happen. Wow, what no, a, what a
1: flashback. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Milan leads it by two points. Juventus, like I said, are, they're sitting seven points off first, but they've got a game in hand. There's um, six teams within nine points of each other. Um, and Napoli, who's the furthest behind in, with 34 points, they also have a game in hand too. Um, so look, we're at least set up for two pretty fun I think February to March while things kind of work themselves out in terms of who are the real top 2 or 3 challengers right for in England and in uh Italy so uh you know it, it's it's looking like it's getting a bit uh closer to a walk to the title in Spain and um and we're slowly progressing towards that in Germany as well um but at least in Italy in England, and I think even in France right now, there's the next couple of months should be very, very exciting in terms of the movers and shakers up at the top. So,
0: Rian's making moves all over Italy, yeah, and all over Europe, <laughs> giving us all the news. Yeah, uh, if uh, yeah, I, I don't think I can handle Milan and United winning the title in the same season. I, I think I would have to go back at least fifteen years of my life in order for that to to actually occur that's i and i don't want to do that but if it did if it did i will say someone someone out there has absolutely placed that bet and is going to cash out so just just say it <laughs> just say <saying.
1: laughs>
0: bet 365 Whoa. look out for that bless him.
1: <laughs> bless them oh geez bless him. <laughs> um all right should we get out of here
0: yeah, with that, ladies and gentlemen, that wraps up the Premier League and a little bit of Italy at the end of things from uh, from Rian. So, thank you as always for listening. We'll be back. I I promise we'll be back later this week with the La Liga portion of the pod, and uh, I've got some uh, some interesting stats and storylines already lined up for that Rian. So, we'll be back.
1: I can't I wait. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> Thank you.